will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord our God. created the heavens and the earth but who created God nobody God existed long before time began and he will exist into eternity future he's not limited by a body and he's not limited by natural forces like you and I are he created those natural forces our God is all-powerful he is all-knowing he is infinite he is outside of space and time and this God before he even spoke the world into existence knew that this morning March 16th, a little after 11 o'clock, you would be standing in this room this morning about to receive an offer from an eternal, everlasting God. An offer of life full of purpose and meaning and hope. Only an offer this part, an offer this big can only come from a God this big, an everlasting God. So I want you to praise Him this morning. God, the everlasting God. 
would be so sweet Never knew surrender could feel so free Never seen such meekness and majesty That the blood of Jesus was shed for me Now I'll see freedom for all of my days It's only by the power of the cross I'm raised The King of glory rescued guys can be seated. This morning is going to be a little bit different. We're going to talk a little bit. We're going to sing a little bit kind of throughout the morning. I want to talk about the cross for a few moments. You know, the cross, we see it all over Christian stuff. We put it on our steeples or we'll stick it on apparel or we'll put it on the back of our car, wear it around our neck. So what's so significant about this cross? I mean, a lot of times we might even assign it some kind of spiritual significant, super significance. In reality, what the cross was, was it was just the means of execution of a common criminal. I mean, if we put it in today's context, it would be like um, putting a, a picture of a, um, an electric chair on the back of your car, you know, or a lethal injection bed, or even a hangman's noose, something like that. Not a very pretty picture. I mean, the cross is a, is a horrible, ugly thing. So why do we celebrate it so much? Well, I believe this morning we're going to talk about 
why God chose the cross. And I think as we look at the cross, we're going to see some things about God. We're going to see some things about ourselves. And we're going to see some things about those around us. If the Lord gives me the words, we're going to do that. Let me, let me kind of start with this. The cross changes our view of God. And we can understand what God is like by looking at the cross. Let me tell you a little story. God created everything in the universe. He wanted a relationship with, with his creation. And he wanted to receive love back from that creation. So he created humanity. He created people. In creating them, he created them with a free will. Because you realize you can't actually be loved by somebody unless they have the choice to not love you, right? Otherwise, that's not love. So God created people with that option to choose to love him or to choose to reject him. He gave us a choice to choose those things that lead to life or to choose those things that lead to death. Now, you might think, if you're just a kind of a logical thinking person, you're going to go, man, that's like a no-brainer. <coughs> Excuse me. I mean, we would naturally choose the things that lead to life, right? And that, just, that would just make sense. Why would we choose things that lead to death? And you'd be right. That does make sense. However, the Bible tells us, and you know from personal experience, and I know from personal experience, that we choose things that lead to death. The Bible calls these things sin. Sin is anything that we do that doesn't match God's perfect standard. One wrong thought, one wrong attitude, one wrong action, that's, just, that's sin. And the Bible says that that one thing that we do wrong, all it takes is one time in your life, and the result is that we are now separated from God. And that means it continues on into eternity. Because you see, God is perfect. He can't have sin in his presence. As badly as he wants us to be with him, I mean, that's why he made us, for a relationship with him. The moment that we rejected God, the moment that you did something wrong in your life, what you did is effectively told God, I don't want to be with you. I don't want a relationship with you. And for the rest of my life and on into eternity, I'm going to be separated from you. I mean, we wouldn't say that, but that's, that's the result of our sin. But God wanted us to be with him so badly that he said, I, I'm going to make a way for people to still have a relationship with me. And what's even more amazing is this didn't sneak up on God. You realize he didn't create Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and, and all of humanity. And, and suddenly when they sinned, he went, oh, oh no, now what am I going to do? Plan B, you know, try something else. He knew from the beginning. He knew that he was going to have to make a way for you and I to get to him. Now the Bible tells us that everybody has sinned and the wages or the natural result, the natural payment for sin is death, separation from God. There's a verse in the Bible that says that and it goes on and it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now what does that mean? How does that work? God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to live a perfect life. You see, nobody else had ever done it. Nobody else has ever since. Only Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, which means he did not deserve separation. He did not deserve death. So if he gave his life, if he paid the penalty that you and I deserved, 
he could effectively pay for everybody else's penalty. You see, if I tried to die for you, it wouldn't work because if I died, it would be paying for my own sin. You couldn't die for everybody else. You have sin. Only somebody who had no sin, and that was Jesus Christ, could do this. God chose the method, the time period, all of this would happen. And Jesus gave his life on a cross. Just a common means of execution. He was executed between two other criminals. But on that cross, he was paying your penalty and he was paying my penalty. And because he paid the penalty, that means he is the one who can offer forgiveness for whatever you've done wrong in your life. It doesn't matter how bad you think you are this morning. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you think it's unforgivable, it does not matter. Jesus died for that sin. It doesn't matter how good you think you are this morning. You could be the nicest, kindest person that anybody in this room has ever met. The Bible says you still have sin in your life. But Jesus wants to give you forgiveness for that this morning. He died to pay the penalty so that he could give you complete forgiveness. Now that sounds like a pretty awesome offer. Complete forgiveness. Maybe you're thinking, oh great, this is where he tells me I have to join the church to get this, right? I have to sign something or I have to jump through some hoops or do something weird. You know what the Bible says? This is a completely free gift of eternal life that he offers and all that God wants us to do is accept that gift. You know, it's like if you had me over for a, a birthday party or something, you know, and I bring you a gift and, um, you know, I, I wrap it up all nice and I walk in and say, happy birthday, woohoo, you know, and and give you the gift, it's not yours until you do what? Say it out loud. Yeah, until you take it, right? Because, I mean, you could, like, leave it in my hands and go, that is one awesome gift. Thanks for bringing it. Not, you can take it with you when you go home, but thanks for bringing it. I mean, that would just be weird. Unless I, you know, followed that rule where you get somebody what you really want, and then I would think that's really cool. But, <laughs> but God says, hey, it's a free gift. All, that, all that's required on your part is to accept it is to simply say, hey, I understand that Jesus did this for me. Now, let me tell you what's not involved. What's not involved in accepting Jesus' death on the cross for you is you cleaning up your act. What's not involved is you going to church and, and you know, kind of getting on better footing with God. What's not involved is trying to do enough good to make up for the bad stuff we've done. You know what that's called? It's called religion. Religion is our way of trying to get around the cross. It's our way of trying to get to God without going through what Jesus has done on the cross for us. But you know what God wants us to realize? It's only what Jesus has done. It's only what he has done that can make a way for us to get to God. He wants us to recognize that there's no amount of good that we can do to counteract. Because even if you just have one sin, that's enough to keep you separated from God forever. But if we look at Jesus and say, Jesus died to pay my penalty, the Bible says at that moment, we have eternal life and a relationship with God. That's pretty awesome. I want to give you that opportunity to make that decision today. There's nothing weird or freaky about it. It's simply an act of your will, saying to God, God, I recognize that I can't get to you until I take care of my sin issue. 
And the only way I can take care of my sin issue is by saying that Jesus died to pay for my sins. Because you realize he paid for every sin that's ever been done anytime by anyone in history or into the future. We want to give you that chance this morning. If you would, would you just close your eyes for just a moment? And I want to give you that chance to make that choice today. And you, you could have walked in this building 10 minutes ago. If you walked in this building and you didn't know Jesus as your Savior, you were destined to an eternity separated from God forever. But I want to give you the opportunity that in just a moment, you can know for sure that if you were to drop dead or something were to happen, you would know that you're on your way to heaven. And even more importantly, you have a relationship and access to God right now. It's simply telling God something like this. You can just tell him in your heart. He knows your thoughts. He can tell what you're thinking. You can just talk to him. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't clean my act up enough to get to you. I can only go through the cross of Jesus. And I believe that he died for me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Help me to live for you. Amen. You guys can look up this way. If you made that decision, I've got to tell you, that is the single greatest decision that you can make in your life is establishing a relationship with God. Because God will hear you based on what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Now, I'm probably talking to a significant number of you this morning that have already placed your faith in him. And that's awesome. But you know what we tend to do with the cross? We look at it and go, yeah, I'm glad I'm saved. Okay. And sometimes we take it for granted. We forget how incredible it is that the God of the universe would love us enough to give his life for us so that we could get to him. Now, when he saves us, when you've accepted your, when you've placed your faith in Jesus, that's really just the beginning of a walk with God. God wants us to live for him, and we're going to examine that over the next few minutes this morning. God wants us to live differently because of the cross. And in just a few moments, we're going to take together what we call the Lord's Supper, and it's simply a physical reminder for us of what Jesus has done on the cross. But, to the, but the Bible warns us about something. The Bible tells us that we need to be careful about taking that celebration lightly. About saying, hey, I'm going to live however I want to live. And then we celebrate what Jesus has done for us. The Bible says because what he has done, we need to behave differently. We need to live differently because of what Jesus has done for us. So I, I don't know you personally, so many of you, but I do know this, that all of us have things in our lives that don't match up exactly with what God's telling us to do. There are gaps between what God wants us to do and how we're actually living our life. And what I want to do is give you a chance in just a, in a minute, I'm going to be quiet and we're just going to have just kind of a moment of awkward silence. And I want you to tell God what those things are in your life that you're willing to say to God, God, I recognize this isn't right. I want forgiveness for this because Jesus died for your sins. He's died for sins you haven't even done yet. He's died for sins you're going to do this afternoon, tomorrow, next week. But what he wants us to do is when we, when we mess up, we simply call out to him. And the Bible says if we confess, that just means we agree with God that it's sin, that he will forgive us and cleanse us from all of that stuff. I want to give you that chance this morning. Before we take the Lord's Supper together, I'm just going to be quiet, and I want you and God just to have a conversation. Tell him what's on your heart.
God, you look at our hearts. You know us. You're waiting for us to recognize the things that you already see. God, I pray that you would forgive us for being selfish. I pray that you would forgive us for the sins in our life that, that cut off your blessing in our life, Lord, that keep us from experiencing life the way that you've meant it to be. I pray that you would forgive us, bring complete healing and restoration. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Ushers, if you guys would go ahead and come on down. When Jesus was here on earth, he established something that followers of Christ have done for 2,000 years. That's pretty incredible. The last night before he was crucified here on earth, he met, you guys can go ahead and start distributing those. He met with his disciples, his closest followers, and they were having a meal together. And he used objects from that meal to illustrate something. See, he was about to go to the cross, and he knew that he was going to endure amazing amount of suffering. His body would be torn apart. He would experience such agony and pain. And so at that meal, he took a loaf of bread, and he tore it apart, and he said, this is my body. This represents my body, broken for you. In the book of Isaiah, we read that because, his, because of the pain, the physical pain that he goes through, the, his body being torn apart, it says, by his stripes we are healed. So he took the bread and he said, hey, this represents my body, broken for you. A moment later, he took the goblet of wine and he said, this fruit of the vine is my blood. This symbolizes my blood shed for you. You see, those guys at that table that night would know what he was talking about because they came from a Jewish background. They were all Jewish. And they knew that throughout the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the only way a person could experience forgiveness was through animal sacrifice, the shedding of blood. And that kind of turns our stomach in, in this culture and we think, oh man, that's just horrible. And it was. God was trying to get across the picture of how awful sin is in our life, that it, it requires blood for there to be any kind of forgiveness. And Jesus was saying at that meal, my blood is going to be shed for you for your forgiveness. And he said, as often as you do this, and we, literally when he was talking, they were having a meal. So he was saying, as often as you eat a meal, I want you to remember that my body was broken for you and that my blood was shed for you. Throughout the ages, as a church, we've, as believers, we've taken special time from time to time to remind ourselves of this incredible sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, of his body broken for us and his blood spilled for us. Poets throughout the years have tried to put this into terms that we can express with just our, not just our minds, but with our hearts as well. There was a poet back in 1707 named Isaac Watts. He wrote a song, or wrote a poem, excuse me, that really I think expresses better than any other the sentiment that we feel in our hearts as we look and we see Jesus sacrifice for us and what it means for us today. I'm gonna sing it with, without accompaniment. We're just gonna sing it together. I want you to think about the words though. If you're one of these that can't sing and think at the same time, just think, okay? We're gonna sing this together this morning about Christ's sacrifice. When I survey the one 
Jesus cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and poor content on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to His blood. See from His head, His hands, His feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown. And this is our response. Were the whole realm of nature mine that Exactly right. This kind of sacrifice demands our all. Let's celebrate this together this morning. He took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do it in remembrance of me. And he took the juice and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Let's do this in remembrance of him. Thank you, God. I had to try to think of a song that we could sing that kind of wraps up our feelings about the cross, about the sacrifice that Christ made for us. And we're going to celebrate this with a song that you're very familiar with. And I want you to sing it with your heart this morning. Would you stand together as we sing? lost but now I'm found 
was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that I first believe my chains are gone, not been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy. After the moment you've placed your faith in Jesus, it's not the end of the journey. 
It's just the beginning of the journey. And our milepost, our guide markers, it's the cross. The cross tells us how to live. In fact, when Jesus was here on earth, even before he died, he made this statement. He said, if any one of you wants to be my follower, he has to give up his selfish ways, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, I don't think that Jesus meant when you all needed to strap a big piece of wood on our back and carry it around. That'd be a little inconvenient. What I do think, though, is Jesus tells us right in that verse what it means to take up our cross. He says to put, a, put away your selfish desires, your selfish deeds. Because aren't we pretty much essentially about ourselves? I mean, that's probably like our big fault, right? We, we tend to think about ourselves more than we really should. We tend to put our own needs ahead of the needs of others. So I believe what Jesus is telling us is that taking up our cross means every day you have a decision to make. You have to decide, am I going to live today for me? Or am I going to make today about Jesus Christ and about what he's done on the cross, about doing things that make God smile? Now, you might say, man, that sounds great. I mean, I'd love to do that. How do I do that? I think Romans 12 gives us a little bit of a, a clue here. There's a verse over there in Romans 12, verse 1. It says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't let the world push you into its mold. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get this, your mind. The mind is where it all takes place. That's the battleground. And every morning, you need to get up and you need to say, God, what do you want to tell me today? How am I going to live in such a way that it's about the cross and not about me? I want to be your follower. Help me to put aside my selfish deeds my selfish desires, because I want to take up my cross and I want to follow you today. That's one way the cross affects the way that we view ourselves. Another way is this. The Bible says that because of what Jesus has done, this is in Ephesians chapter 3, I think verse 12, says, because of what Christ has done for us, this is it, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Let me try to break that down for you for a second because this is really cool. You know, before you accepted what Jesus did on the cross, you were pretty much going through life on your own. Yeah, I mean, you do the best you can, but that's, that's all you got. The moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, suddenly you've got a team. Now you got more than that. You've got the God of the universe on your side, okay? And here's what the Bible tells us, is that Jesus has a job right now. When he got off the cross, when he came back from the dead, he didn't just check it in and say, hey, I'm done, I'm retired, I've done my deal. He stands before God the Father, and he argues for your case before God the Father every day. Did you know that? Jesus Christ stands before God and tells God what you need in your life. So you're over here asking God, God, please help my family. Please show me how to raise my kids. Man, that's a prayer I pray every day. Show me what to do in this situation. How do I navigate this? The whole time you're doing that, you know what Jesus is doing over here? He's saying, God, here's what they really need. They need this. They need this. He needs help. He can't see what's coming around the next corner. He's praying for this, but really he needs this. God, work in his situation, and God does what Jesus asks him to do. Have you been through those times when you're, you want to pray, but you can't figure out what to say? Aren't those great moments? 
You're just like in so much pain and so much turmoil in your life. And your prayer sounds something like this. Have you been there? Holy Spirit stands before God. So cool. Bible says he takes those things that we can't even figure out how to say them. And he's standing before God going, God, when they said what they meant was, and he spells it out. And it says, God, this is what they need. He intercedes for us. Why am I telling you all this? The Bible says because of what Christ has done, it's because of Jesus' sacrifice that we now have access to God. So there is no reason that we need to go through our life with worry, with discouragement, with frustration. Because you see, all those things, that would be natural if it was just us. If it was just us trying to figure things out. No, we've got God on our side. We have Jesus Christ pleading for us. We have the Holy Spirit taking the words we can't even say and telling God, God, this is what they need. So why on earth would we spend time, would we allow ourselves to suffer through some of this stuff on our own when we can confidently and boldly enter into God's presence and say, God, this is what I really need from you right now. There's a verse in Philippians I just love. It's so simplistic and to the point. Because I don't know if you do this or not. I know I do. I worry a little bit from time to time. You know, worry is really kind of a slap in the face to God. You realize that, right? You're basically telling God, God, I know you're big enough to like speak everything into existence and do this whole deal and die on the cross. And, but really, you're not big enough to take care of my life. I mean, I need to tell you how it works. That's what worry is, essentially. I'm guilty of it. There's a verse that says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Isn't that cool? I mean, it's almost like a little nursery rhyme deal. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. But it's so true. If we'll go through our life that way, the moment that you're tempted to worry, the moment you're tempted to be discouraged or self-focused or have a pity party and invite a few friends, we, instead we call out to God and say, God, you've got to help me here. Because of the cross, I can come into your presence. Okay, that's two ways that we've seen that the cross changes us tells us we've got to pick up our cross daily. It tells us we can confidently enter God's presence. The third thing is this. The cross tells us that our lives are no longer about us. Our lives are no longer our own. In fact, there's a verse that says you are bought with a price. The price was Jesus Christ's life. Therefore, because of this, glorify God in your body. Now, man, that's kind of churchy sounding words. In fact, I quoted it from version that was written 400 years ago, or however many it was. Let me try to explain it. You realize you were made for a purpose. God wants to have a relationship with you, but God's got a greater purpose for your life as well. You are a walking billboard for God's love. And so when we don't act that way, you know what? We're not fulfilling our purpose. God has made us to live a life that brings him attention, not us. Man, a lot of times we go through life and we want the attention, don't we? We're like elbowing people out, trying to get the limelight, hoping to get the good job, getting the good promotion, get somebody's attention. You know, we want to be the best at whatever we do. I don't guess there's anything wrong with that if you have the right motives. But the deal is our lives are all about God. He bought you. He paid for you. You're his. So he says, whatever you do, do all for his glory. In fact, there's a verse, I love it, just says, whether you eat, 
Did you know you can eat to God's glory? Some of you do it really well. I can see that from here. <laughs> you can eat to God's glory. You can drink to God's glory. Whatever, whether you eat or drink. And then he kind of wraps it up with, or whatever you do, do it all for God's glory. That's why you and I were made. We were made to point to a God that loves us enough to buy us, to pay for our sin, to pay the penalty that we owed so that we could live for him. Why don't you stand up? We're going to sing this awesome song this morning. It says, we live for his glory.
died for us and God loves us. You can be seated for just a moment. But you know, there's a verse that I think we need to get a hold of because if we do, it's going to change our view of the people around us based on the cross. There's a verse that even if you're not familiar with church, you probably have heard it at least, or you've at least seen the reference held up at the end zone of an NFL game. John 3, 16 says, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. God loved the world so much. Why don't you say it with me? God loved the world so much, he gave his only son. Now, I don't mean to take away from you the personal aspect that God loves you and he died for you, because he sure did. But do you realize that that verse does not say God loved you so much that he sent his son? God loved the world so much. We're going to do a little exercise together this morning. I want you to take out a pen. Grab a pen. There should be one somewhere around. Right in the pew in front of you or, you know, check your wife's purse. The ladies always carry hundreds of pens. I don't know why, but they always seem to be there. Get a pen. Some of you aren't playing. <laughs> Either that or you're like feeling around without looking down. Okay. Got a pen? We're going to write down three names, three names, just first names though, in case this paper turns up in the wrong hands, you can justify it all the way. I want you just to write down the first name of one of your family members. Doesn't matter, one of them. A family member you're in contact with all the time. Just their first name, write that down. Okay, the second name I want you to write down is a coworker or a neighbor or somebody that you spend some time with, but it's not like they live in your house. Write that name down. The third name I want you to write down, you'll see why I just had you write first names. Third name, I want you to write down the name of somebody that just kind of annoys you. <laughs> I hope it's not me. <laughs> okay, you got those three names written down? I'm having you do this because it's one thing for us to talk about God loves the world. Boy, that sounds so wonderful. And we go, yeah, God loves everybody. I mean, it's, yeah. But then when you start putting a name or a face 
it gets a little more impractical, doesn't it? To think that the family members and the people closest to us are the ones who, I mean, that may be the same name you have on one and three, I don't know. But it seems to me like the people that are closest to us are often the ones we give the least mercy to, the least grace to. Does it seem that way in your life? We can extend grace to people we don't even know, but it's like the people that we rub shoulders with every day, those are the ones that kind of bristle up against and go, ugh. Or how about your coworkers? You know, God died for them. He loved them so much. He died on the cross. You know where I'm headed, don't you? We're going down to the third one. The people that irritate you, yeah, God loved them enough to die for them. God loves them. This is going to be revolutionary. God loves them as much as he loves you. Okay? I'm not trying to put, put you down. I'm just saying God loves all of us. And here's what God wants us to do with that. I'm going to look over in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Check this out. You ready? Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. I've got a, a five-year-old son, and I, I've got an older daughter and a younger daughter, but my son particularly likes to, he likes to imitate what I do. And that's a pretty scary thing, let me tell you. The other day, I'm, I'm really into photography, you know, and, and for right now, I always get into things for a few months. Um, so I'm into photography, and so, so my kids know that anytime there's anything going on, dad will be there, he'll just be behind you know, the black box with the eye, you know, and he's always taking pictures. And so my son, the other day I was, I was in the living room and um, my daughter Anna was just laying on the floor, you know, doing what babies do. And Micah goes and grabs his little point and shoot camera, actually goes and grabs my point and shoot camera. And he gets over her and he's just taking pictures left and right, you know, he's just imitating his dad. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to imitate what he has done. You know where I'm headed with this, don't you? Verse two. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. Here's what Christ did. This is what this whole morning has been about. He loved us and gave himself a sacrifice for us. That's what Christ did for you. That's what Christ did for the whole world. And so who are we to look at other people and think somehow they have less value than maybe we do? You know what I'm saying? We treat people that way, don't we? I mean, I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip. That's, I do the same thing. In fact, not long ago, I was driving my car, and I came up on a, a car that had a bumper sticker on the back. It made me laugh so hard, I about drove off the road, and I said, man, I got to use that sometime. So today's the day. Okay? This is how we as Christians tend to act. If you're a believer this morning, you are guilty as charged, I guarantee you, okay? So here we go. This bumper sticker. This is how we act right here. Can you zoom in on that? It says, Jesus loves you. In parenthesis, everyone else thinks you're an idiot. Isn't that the way we act, though? I mean, man, we, we can use the spiritual words and we can go, oh, Jesus loves everyone, but I can't stand you. And God says, hey, it's not supposed to be that way. Imitate your father. Do what Jesus has done. Later in that chapter, it says some remarkable things like this. Even as God has forgiven you, forgive other people. Doesn't matter what they've done. Forgive them. Live in such a way 
that it makes a difference. I mentioned it a moment ago. You and I are walking billboards for God. I mean, this is his marketing strategy right here. Us, okay? He wants us to live in such a way that it makes a difference in the world around us. We don't have to do the same things everybody else who doesn't know Jesus does. We don't have to. In fact, God says we're not supposed to. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to treat people different. It doesn't mean we're supposed to look like freaks or do weird things. It means we're supposed to treat people in a way that when, when we do that, people go, man, that's just not normal. You know, when you forgive somebody that's hurt you instead of cutting them down, that's not normal. <laughs> I mean, that's weird. People are going to go, whoo, something's not quite right there. But you know what? God's using that to get across the deal that he has died for every person. He wants us to make a difference. We're going to sing one more song this morning. I love this song because it says that we are going to make a difference in this world because we are, and I love this term, the different. The different. Why don't you guys stand up and let's sing this this morning. Let's raise the roof.
is awesome. You guys go ahead and be seated. This morning, if you made a decision to place your faith in Jesus Christ, we want to celebrate with you. And uh, we want to give you the opportunity to pick up one of these little packets that we've put together with some DVDs and uh, just materials that will help you take that next step in your journey with Christ. So if you would just fill out that little form on, in the bulletin that you got, and um, you can drop it in the offering bags, uh, and we can mail it to you. Or if you'd like to take it with you today, just take it by guest services or the New Spring store right out there. Just show them that you check the box. You don't have to like recite the Gettysburg Address or do anything weird. Just give it to them, and they'll give you the packet and just tell you how glad they are uh, that you've made that decision. Uh, we would just love to celebrate with you and help you.